one for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Middle Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Live from the Drain Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Two, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. About 20 minutes, 15 minutes, somewhere in that uh, neighborhood. Zubin Mahente, our friend from ESPN, Trent Zubin and I, will go around the world of sports as we do in that time slot each and every Tuesday. We're grateful uh, to have Zubin as part of our lineup. Well, uh, we are joined in studio by a legend who announced his retirement here this morning. Van Harden from WHO uh, is uh, going to call it a career uh, in January to the day. It'll be 50 years since you first spoke into a microphone. And 50 years after those words were uttered, you will sign off for the last time. Congratulations, Van Thank Harden. Thank you very much. And I'm so glad that you and I got to be yeah. working together several times. Absolutely, Van. Uh, and it's been, uh, it's been great having you in the building. And uh, you've meant so many, so much to so many people's career uh, over your uh, incredibly long career. Uh, I want to get to the call letters in a second because I think it's a remarkable story. A that you came up with the just an amazing set K X and O. Everybody knows those call letters and they're so important in what we do. So we'll get what it was going to be called uh, had K X and O not have been chosen. But why uh, was the fifty years maybe the the selling point? Was yeah. that in the back of your mind? I'm going to get to here. And then I'm going to be, yeah. pack it in. You know, when when you've been around that long, you have a long time to think about this. You know, thirty years, forty yeah. years, whatever. And um, I just looked at that and I thought, you know, this is kind of like an airplane flight. I was in Perry, Iowa, in 1971 on January 8th. I went on the air, and it's almost like this airplane took off, and I flew, and uh, I had no idea I was going to be flying this long. <laughs> Or at the heights that we flew, yeah. uh, and and with so many exciting things, and um, so now I'm looking down and I can see the runway. Mm. <laughs> and you know, in this business, there's not a lot of guys that really get to it's do it that true. way. Yep. I'm one of the few guys that I know that's never been fired. Of course, I got three months, so I can <laughs> pretty sure you're get safe. through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thought, yep, there's the runway. This is a good time to do it. Um, th- you know, there's nothing bad about my job unless it's having to get up at 2.45 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, that's gotten harder and harder mm-hmm. to do. I guess that's probably normal. But uh, that that is one thing that I won't miss. And people say, oh, well, you'll get up that because you're trained. Nope. <laughs> on the weekends, I get up at, you know, like... You're able to do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm that tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense. So in the long career of getting up at 2.45, did you did you sleep in once? Is that Was that the story? Did I you... missed twice. Once was on my birthday, and I can't tell you why I was, why I was late. Another time, 
I didn't sleep in late, but I was trying to get to the station from the Mixmaster on the west side, and there was a jackknife semi-truck, okay. and I found myself driving toward Omaha, and I thought, this is not right. This is not good. I went the wrong way. So I had to phone in the first part of the program. <laughs> Van, uh, I think of WHO as the behemoth that it is, but... I've been in this business for 16 years, but I romanticize a little bit about what it was like back in the day. Can you you take us back to your early days at WHO and just your early days in radio and how different it was then compared to what it is today? Well, I can tell you about the early days at WHO in particular. They called me because I was down the street at Brand X, as I laughingly call it, and uh, they had uh, they were doing horrible here. I mean, they were like number seven. In Seriously? A, oh, ob- absolutely. Really? Sales were bad. Numbers were bad. Everything was bad. And they did some research, and they threw my name into a hopper, and apparently it came out well. So they said, we think we need to talk to you. So uh, they took me out, and I didn't. I wasn't too wild about it because they had a consultant with them. And, you know... Did you, did you feel I right? I don't even like the word consultant yep. a lot of times. So anyway, they interviewed me, and I hit it off with the consultant and kind of with the people that were the managers here. And uh, the consultant and I became great friends after that. He told me, he said, you know, after that meeting we had at that restaurant, the minute you walked out the door, I told these guys, you got to hire this guy. You got to hire him right now. They said, "Well, we haven't interviewed anybody. I don't care. You got to hire this guy right now." So they they did go ahead and interview some other people, but you know it worked out okay. And uh, I didn't know this at the time, but apparently this was Palmer Communications, and apparently the uh, president of the company thought he was going to be getting like an NPR National Public Radio type morning show, and. <laughs> That's not what he got, because I love to do stunts and yeah. fun things, and I did all of that, and uh, he wasn't very happy about it, I heard through the grapevine, but then the numbers kept going up mm. and up and That's up. That's all that matters. Said, well, maybe this is okay after yeah. all. <laughs> no, I'll say. So let, let's go back, because uh, you came up, you and I believe Jeff Kahn was, uh, were in the room trying to figure out uh, what you're going to call this sports station that launched January 1st of 2001. So the history of sports talk in Des Moines was there was no full-time until middle of June 1996 when the jock launched. Yep. And then 940, uh, Michael Gartner and company brought in another competing sports yep. station. So what was behind the move? I mean, you're looking at us at the jock saying, if these knuckleheads can do it, anybody can do it, right? <laughs> no, that's not the way it went. It, it, although a reporter from the Des Moines Register, I think it was maybe Dave Ryan at the time, he called and he, he said, uh, what are you, crazy? You're putting a sports station on a town the size of Des Moines. There's already two sports stations. And I just told him, I said, I know it looks that way. Yeah. Call me back in a year. Right. And because I knew we had the resources and I knew I could hire some great people Mm -hmm. and I just knew we could do it. Mm -hmm. And so... We did. <laughs> yeah, no, you absolutely did. Yeah. And the, there's the, you're the survivor. KXNO is the survivor. Okay, so you've got a plan. You're going to do it, but what are you going to call it? So yeah. how does that come about? Save what you were going to call it, the other option, because you just told, well, Ross <laughs> Peterson popped in and said, I can't listen. you, you got to tell me what it was going to be What was it going to be called? So now I know. But and it's, but how did KXNO come to be, the, the call letters? Well, first of all, they said, you you we've got a frequency it's 1460 
what do you want to do with it? I said, we got to do sports because we were wanting to put more sports on WHO and there's only so many hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to get more Iowa State stuff. Mm-hmm. And so so they said, yep, yep, that's a good idea and that'll sell well. And um, so anyway, and they said, you can name it. Wow. I said, you mean like the call letters? Yeah. Said, oh, and that's kind of a dream, really. I mean, just if you are into broadcasting, to name a radio station. So anyway, I found a database of the FCC, and it had available call letters on there. And I looked through, and I saw one that I thought might be okay, but I wasn't, I wasn't enamored with any of them. So then I went back a little later and went through, and there was a station in Las Vegas. They called it the Casino. Mm. And it was KXNO. And they changed their format, and they gave up those call letters, and I snapped them up fast. I guess you did. I remember even sitting down at a table and getting a piece of paper out and drawing what might be a logo with the lines like the X's go here and the O's go there. And that's what we're looking at here to this day. Well, and I remember being so pissed because I thought it was so good. All the X's and O's as I'm yeah. on the competitor and you guys yeah. just came up with this idea and I knew we were sunk for, for a number of reasons, but that was one of them. So go ahead, Trent. What, what other piece of that, so many sports stations we see, they're the ticket, the fan, whatever it is. Did you guys ever have a part of that when you started? I didn't move here till 07, so early on, or was it always you were going to stick with the call letters? Well, the ticket was here. The ticket was at That the was another one. Yeah, but that was but did you ever decide to go with any of those? We never thought about doing clever monikers, and I'll tell you why. Because I have a history with WHO, mm-hmm. and people all across the country mm-hmm. know WHO, and it's not like, you know, the owl or something like that. Uh, and And so I always said, we don't have to have some shtick you know the call letters say it all and with kx and o it did yeah i'll say Mm -hmm. so had the had the radio station in las vegas not changed and kx and o wasn't available what were a couple of the other options what was (laughs) i guess what was the leader in the clubhouse what was it going to be i only remember one other one and i really had to noodle this one through back at that time kurt warner was hot stuff and i mean Everybody was talking about him. Mm-hmm. He's a local guy. He's national. He's doing fabulous. KURT was available. And I thought, ooh, <laughs> boy, what if we had a Kurt, you know? 1460 and, the Kurt. <laughs> yeah. So then I thought, well, you know, the X's and O's are going to last forever. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Kurt will. Right. He did pretty well for well, himself. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but you chose you chose wisely. You chose the right yeah. one. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Uh, the other KXNO story was um, sadly one of the most infamous days in this radio station's history when you walked through the door and said you're going out over the air, and oh, that was yeah. the morning of the f bombs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've never been through anything quite like I don't think any of us no. had ever been in, through anything like that before. And, you know, it was one thing to maybe discipline some people, but it was another thing when, you know, the Federal Communications yeah. Commission itself doesn't look proudly on this, yeah. something like that. And yeah. so uh, the station and the company had to show good faith that, yeah, we know how serious this is and we don't condone it. And so, man, we had a whole list of things 
that we were going to do to prevent that. In fact, I'm sitting in front of a microphone switch right now. It's changed since that day. It's changed. It used to be flat on the table. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem is one of the guys involved set a shoebox down full of stuff, and it turned the mic on. And so one of the things we did, we put a frame around that, and now (laughs) there's a lid that goes over that. You cannot turn that mic on the way it is. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, rough going, and we... We were scared about that for a long time. Indeed, it was. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, a great career, man. Good Thank for you. you. Fifty years, January the eighth. January eighth is the last day. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any plans for January eighth? Is just one person after another going to file into the building? Say I don't goodbye? know. I don't really. I just. I just ask them. Can I have the last half hour for myself? Oh, good. So I can reminisce a little bit yeah. and uh say thank you to the listeners and that kind of thing but uh and you know I'm, they're talking about parties and all. i don't care about any of that right. i mean if they want to that's fine but um, i hope we can have a party the world's yeah. at a place where we can get together yeah that's true right that's very true yeah, yeah. Um, but it, i've appreciated not only working with you but you uh working for us that you would come here and do this and i always thought you were really good uh, and and I thought this is where you should be because you bounced out one time, and then I was so glad when you came back. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm so glad you took me back. <laughs> Trust me. Congratulations, Thank Ben you. Harden. Hell of a career, my friend. Hell of a career, and you got to end it your way, which is rare, right? Yeah. Really rare. Yeah. Uh, Zuma Mahente next. Miller and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. The Kurt. No, it's not. It's KXNO. KXNO. Since 2012, the nonprofit organization Opportunity on Deck has strived to provide free of charge athletic opportunities and educational programs to more than 3,000 children throughout central Iowa. Opportunity on Deck's annual slow pitch softball fundraiser, The Game for Good, will be played at Principal Park on Sunday, September 20th. Teams this year will be coached by former Hawkeye greats Tim Dwight, Tavian Banks, and Jenny Baranchek. To play, volunteer, or donate, go to OpportunityOnDeck.org. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, 1125 on a Tuesday morning. Appreciate Van Harden coming in here. Congratulations again to him, who after 50 years on January the 8th will turn off the microphone for the final time. Zubin Mahente joins us. We go around the world of sports with Zubin. Of course, Zubin spent some time here in Des Moines, good number of years. Uh, Zubin, a, uh, a real legendary broadcaster, Van Harden, announced his retirement on WHO this morning. I'm, I'm guessing that at some point in your career, although you were a night guy. He was a morning guy. You had to cross paths with Van Harden at some point, didn't you? Oh, of course. I think when I was filling in on KX. Oh, know, sure. And, uh, right. The late Larry Kotler was there, Jeff Kahn. Uh, he would always sign off on everything. So I couldn't actually go on the airwaves or get paid or anything unless Van approved it. So uh, I guess I owe him a debt of gratitude and congratulations. He's, uh, he's a true icon. It's one of those things where, as you know, um, when you have a, a Kevin Cooney, a John Bachman, a Van Harden, I mean, everybody knows who those people are. You don't have to be media savvy or in the business. There's just a lot of people that kind of cut through, and I think he's in that group. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. Zubin, well, uh, let's get into what we saw this weekend in sports. We'll do college football. We'll go around sports. I've got a Game 7 in basketball tonight. Anxious to pick your brain uh, on the, on Game 7 is Denver, who's I have no idea how they're doing it, but glad that they are because we get entertained with the Game 7. Uh, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit last night. I'm assuming it's not lost on anybody uh, at ESPN uh, just how uh, well they did in their – like I know that they call college football, and uh, but – but boy, oh boy, for their first NFL game, they are getting rave reviews, Ubin Mahente. They were terrific, and obviously they did that game because Chris was calling the men's final at the U.S. Open Tennis on Sunday, and so that was just the easy process ah, got for Chris it. to be able to get to. Yeah, normally you would think with somebody like the Steelers and the Giants, with all due respect to your Broncos and the Titans, it just felt like the secondary lesser matchup. But just in terms of travel for Chris, after calling that Dominic team, Tennis victory over Alexander Zavera. It was just easy for him to shoot over from Flushing to East Rutherford, uh, New Jersey. They were great. I love the little tidbit. You did notice more often than not than in many games that uh, when somebody caught a pass, well, there's Notre Dame rookie, Chase mm. Claypool. You know, you heard that a lot. You heard a lot of the college mentions, which I thought was great. Trent, you call play-by-play of the three of us, so I can't really speak to this. But, you know, with the clock stopping in college after first down, the mm-hmm. game just goes on so Long NFL games are a little bit crisper. I'm not saying that they're tidy little games either, but I thought that they did such a great job because, as you could probably attest, or anybody that's sort of doing something new, when the pace is significantly thrown off, um, it sometimes is difficult to adjust. But they went from a slower pace in college to a faster pace in the NFL. They were great. And I think for people that thought they didn't know football um, I, from the NFL level because they spent so much time immersed knee-deep in college football, and the NFL is obviously something you want to be around 24-7 to be great at it. They were able to dispel those fears either. And at the very end of the game, I thought it was really cool. Fowler grew up in Colorado. He's actually a big Broncos fan, and Herbie lives in Nashville now. So they even had a little uh, chat on the pregame going into Denver and, uh, and uh, Tennessee because of both of their locales. But I thought they did a great job. And I think for people that love watching them on college football, um, the seamless way, like you said, Ken, they went into the NFL, it's a lot, lot harder than it seems. Is it something that's plausible or possible for for them to do both? Down the road, whatever that turns out to be, where you do a game on Saturday. Herb Street, of course, has also game day that he does before the game he calls that night. And then do a Monday night football game. Any reality to that? We see that with Buck and Aikman now with Fox. We saw in the past with NBC when they had the Thursday night package. It can work, but it's incredibly taxing, and there's one less day in between. Any way that could work out in your mind? It's hard to tell. I think one of the uh, more wonky discussions, obviously, us three are into it. I'm not sure how much your listeners are, but it definitely seems like, because of the economic situation, that the Thursday night package is going to be up for bid, and it, all indications are Fox is sort of ready to let it go. Yep. Uh, if you do win Thursday night, I mean, any night you have football, you win the night in TV. I'm not sure what that means anymore. Years ago, having Monday night football, you know, ABC could see, all right, we're winning the night, or NBC's got Sunday night football, NBC wins Sunday night. And obviously you can use those platforms to promote all the other programming, whether it's programs like Jimmy Fallon or whether it's Peacock, their streaming service, you see all those things, all the ancillary benefits that you have from having that sort of package and the millions of people uh, that'll watch it. But that remains to be seen. I certainly couldn't speak for anybody, but I certainly think that if you get into a situation 
where there's a Thursday night game in the mix, and now you got for them Thursday, Saturday, or for a Thursday, Monday situation, that could be up in the air as well. Uh, and then you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm sure you read all the trades. There's all sorts of talk that uh, ABC and ESPN would love to grab a Sunday package yep. from CBS or Fox and then air games on Sunday and Monday. Um, and I guess it's all out there. It's all crazy money. But as has been noted, even though the Chiefs ratings were down a little bit last Thursday, and even Sunday night football with the Cowboys did not do as well as many people expected, there's just really nothing on TV right now that can bring as many people to the table, particularly men, young men, discretionary income people, people that spend money like the NFL. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of make that work trend. But I think it'll probably be more interesting to see what networks end up with what. I mean, I would imagine we would hopefully save Monday Night Football and NBC's deal with Sunday Night is just too good. The network does great. The league wants to be on broadcast television so they can get their best numbers on a Sunday night. But whatever ends up with the Sunday packages and that floating Thursday package could determine a lot. And like I said, it's a parlor game. It's for us guys in the media. But I do think a lot of viewers are sort of interested in it as well, especially when you see all the Twitter reaction to the broadcast on Sunday. So I think that'll be very interesting to watch. Uh, Zubin, uh, we hope that we're going to be able to watch Big Ten football. And according to Nebraska President Ted Carter, who apparently this is a, a TV station, KETZ, uh, over in Nebraska. Nebraska President Ted Carter said this morning, not knowing that he was on a hot mic before a news conference, quote, we're getting ready to announce the Huskers and the Big Ten football tonight. It seems like it's a done deal, Zubin. If Ted Carter, the president of Nebraska, is right, it's going to be announced tonight. Does it feel like it to you and your crew in Bristol and uh, across the country uh, that Big Ten football is about to uh, reverse course and begin play sometime in October? Man, there have been so many. If I had a dime for every person that said it was about to come back, right? So it's tough. I also heard uh, you said Nebraska's chancellor there with KETV, the ABC station in Omaha. Wisconsin's chancellor, Rebecca Blank, basically came out and said it's all for one and one for all. So there's not going to be any sort of split. So I'm not really sure if Nebraska makes that proclamation. Obviously, their chancellor will probably know something the rest of us don't. Hmm. Uh, But at the same time, when they decided to go rogue in Lincoln, um, the Nebraska situation is what it is but wisconsin's chancellor said either we're all going or we're not you know it's important to remember that michigan and michigan state's leadership are medical doctors that's something Mm -hmm. you cannot underestimate especially with what we're dealing with at the moment and the way that they think uh rutgers would probably vote no new jersey has been hit massively hard by the coronavirus thirteen thousand deaths people don't realize this maryland is the bluest state in America, they actually have a Republican governor in Larry Hogan. He's very popular. Um, but um, most blue states, not to make this political, but most states that are blue tend to be much more careful and cautious with the coronavirus. So Maryland would fall in to that group. Obviously, I know it doesn't have to be an 11-3 vote like it was last time. There is a little more wiggle room on the nine votes. But every time I hear something's about to happen, I mean, this weekend is the best microcosm, right? It was going to happen this weekend, and here we are Tuesday morning. We had Paul Feinbaum on this morning, and he said, you know, if the Big Ten decided to play, in his opinion, I I agree with this word, it would be somewhat of a, I guess the best word he used was seismic. It would be a seismic move. It would be a 180. There are other smaller issues to consider. What would this do to Kevin Warren's leadership? What would this do to his decision-making ability the next time? There's a real decision that needs to be made, although I can't imagine he'll ever have a decision 
as big as this one, considering what we're dealing with right now in the country. But there's a lot of other side issues as well. Um, the Big Ten's influence on the Pac-12, will that start to wane, especially with rapid testing, and just for Warren himself and the way he's viewed uh, by the 14 chancellors. So those are smaller issues, getting back on the field, getting back on the field in October so he can be part of the college football playoff is paramount. But I do think there's some really lingering issues here for Kevin Warren, no matter what happens. Yes, he was put in an incredibly tough spot when he walked in, but I can't find anybody that even thinks he's done a satisfactory job here. Very frustrating from a Big Ten perspective. Your school president, your Rutgers, your alma mater, has been very outright not believing. What Reading through some of his comments from last week and, and hearing his perspective on things, what would have to change? What would it take, do you think, to get Rutgers on board here to at least give him the agreement, the thumbs up, let's get football back? I don't think they're going to change their minds just because of what's happened in the state of New Jersey. Anything could happen. I also think, not to get political here, but he obviously went up against the president and made some comments about his mm-hmm. cheap politics. And I think once you go there, that's the point of no return. I think you just have to realize that politics is a part of everything. But when he started invoking names and the president, I don't think he did himself any favors. He's a new university president, by the way, so he's still trying to ingratiate himself to the university community. He's still trying to get in lockstep with the other leaders in the Big Ten. So I I tend to think New Jersey will be a little bit more skittish just because of how hard hit they have been uh, by the virus in proximity to New York and Connecticut, which have also been hit very, very hard. The rest of New England, uh, to a degree, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, they have been spared. Um, But the tri-state area, as they call it, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, was really hit uh, very badly. Only here, very recently, are we even letting 25% eat inside in restaurants uh, in New York where we're working Um, So I I tend to think that once he went personal, I think it was a mistake uh, because then you can't really take the high road because I think the other commissioners, the other conference leaders, the university presidents, the chancellors are going out of their way to not engage politically overtly if they don't have to. I think they realize there's really no upside to that. Um, But I think it was a pretty, pretty bad start to the new university president uh, at Rutgers. Even if you feel that way and half the country feels that way, It just doesn't feel like the right way to go to try to find a resolution, especially when you're the new kid on the proverbial block. Uh, Zubin, uh, week number one of the NFL is come and gone. We look forward to week number two. We'll get to that on Thursday. I think it's Cleveland Cincy, right? Cleveland Cincy. You got it. Uh, On Thursday night. Uh, Your biggest takeaway from week one was what, Zubin Mahente? I think the biggest takeaway was just last night. I think people were really interested to see what kind of Ben Roethlisberger we were going to get. I mean, think about what happened to him in the offseason. He admitted he had an alcohol problem. And I'm not joking about this. You guys probably remember this. He admitted he had a pornography problem. Mm-hmm. And he was then coming back from Tommy John for a quarterback. And I don't know if you guys saw the sleeve the end of the game. Ken, I'm sure you probably did because you were waiting for Denver to start. <laughs> but the way that he and Tomlin walked back to the locker room together, holding that game ball like it was a newborn <laughs> baby, of all the things this guy's done in his career, he's had some ups and downs. Don't get me wrong. Two Super Bowls. Uh, the surgeries, the illnesses, uh, the diva behavior, the motorcycle accidents, the suspensions. He's gone through a little bit of everything. But to see him and Tomlin walk together to the locker room together after the game under the bowels there in New Jersey, you could just tell what that meant. He came back earlier to say he's here to play for multiple seasons. He sort of has that Aaron Rodgers chip where people kind of think the best is behind them. And clearly, I think uh, over the weekend, those two guys on Sunday and Monday showed 
uh, that they weren't. And there was a stat, which I'm sure you guys probably saw, but it still bears worth repeating, that Roethlisberger and Tom Linnell have 116 wins together in tandem. That's tied with Dan Marino and the late great Don Shula for third on the all-time list. I know Ben's been around now this is his 17th season, and Mike hasn't been around the entirety of that. But I was not surprised to see it because I know they've won. But to be up there with Marino and mm-hmm. one of the greatest coaches in the history of the league, especially since the Steelers have had a couple season series, you know, when they stubbed their toe and missed the postseason, obviously the two Super Bowls are there. Uh, but that's a pretty exclusive group to be a part of. Uh, to be mentioned with those two guys. And if I'm not mistaken, can they have your Broncos on uh, Sunday? So it could be a 2-0 start for them. Yes, they do, and yes, they will be. <laughs> yeah, because they, I mean, Bud Dupree, Zubin, my gosh, that Steelers defense. Trent started the show talking about mm-hmm. that was his biggest takeaway was the Steelers defense. My biggest takeaway was, I don't want to make this all Steelers radio, but boy, oh boy, Baltimore and Pittsburgh, I, I'll sign up for that, Zubin. That was such a great rivalry for a 10-year period. Steelers, Ravens, here we go again. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the best rivalry in the league, uh, and I think it is going to bear fruit again, obviously. I think, in, if I'm not mistaken, week three, it'll be Baltimore and Kansas City, which yep. will be amazing on Monday, Monday night. night yep. and then to see, yeah, and then to see Baltimore and Pittsburgh twice. And, you know, I, this sounds a little silly, but, you know, I, I think Cincinnati is going to make some moves, and I think they're getting better at a faster clip. I'm not sure what to think of the Browns, but I agree with you. That Pittsburgh-Baltimore rivalry was so good for so long, and I think it's probably going to be uh, rekindled. I think soon enough it'll probably be the best rivalry uh, in the game because at this particular point, I don't know who the Chiefs' rivalry mm. would be, but I certainly think they would be favored. And You know, I mean, things, little rivalries, like people would tell you in the Southeast that, like, you know, New Orleans-Atlanta used to be a huge rivalry, not nationally, but some of these regional rivalries are really splitting apart because one team's heading in one direction and one is in the other, but you're right. Baltimore-Pittsburgh seems to be back on track as among the NFL's best. And Trent, we talked about this in the beginning, never answered it. Pittsburgh-Baltimore, primetime, Sunday night football, Sunday after Thanksgiving. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Zubin, speaking of good ones, it was a good one for New Orleans. Not so much for Tampa after that opening drive. You get to talk to Keyshawn Johnson every every morning on your radio program. Boy, uh, different system for Brady. Going from checkdowns, very small, short passing windows, to what Arians wants to do, getting the ball up the field. What do you think of this match overall? I think it's fine. I think it's one of those things where they just happen to play a team that could absolutely overcome the fact that there was no rookie camp, no OTAs, no mini camp, no preseason. I mean, Alvin Kamara, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, that triumvirate has been there for a while, and after Kamara's latest deal, It'll be there for another short while because Breeze has a two-year, $50 million deal himself. Michael Thomas just got paid. You have Sean Payton. There's some continuity on the offensive side of the ball. So those guys just sort of picked up where they left off. Whereas I look at a situation like Tampa and you say, look, again, no OTAs, no minicamp, no preseason, nothing for Brady to get on the same page as his receivers. I asked Key this morning, how many guys do you think that are young on the Bucks say to themselves, oh my goodness, that's Tom Brady. How much of a shock factor is there just especially because it's game one and he's expecting you to be there and he made a couple uncharacteristic mistakes and people are always surprised and Brady makes a mistake because he's been so proficient for so long um but what he said to me is really interesting he goes he goes you think you think the rookies are eyes popping when they're watching Brady goes the vet's eyes are popping (laughs) when they're watching Brady he seemed to indicate that everybody on the team with maybe the exception of guys like Gronk 
that had played with him are still a little bit shell-shocked that they're playing with somebody like Tom Brady. He essentially said to us this morning, like, people walk onto the field and go, whoa, that's Tom. Whoa, that's Tom. You know, this is week one of the season already. you got to get over that. But Keyshawn essentially said that he really believes that is still happening. I love the fact that Bruce Arians is just such a straight shooter and essentially said yesterday, I don't know, Tom looked great in practice. The Saints didn't do anything that surprised us. He just didn't play well in the game. I'm sure that's going to stir the pot in terms of whether Brady's over the hill at 43. Usually a a coach is going to back up their player. Uh, But in this case, it's sort of refreshing that Arians has always sort of, you know, said what he means, means what he says. And it doesn't matter who bears the brunt of it. In this case, it's Tom Brady. But they got Carolina at home on Sunday. Great opportunity to get the one-and-one themselves. So I'm not too worried about it. But he did kind of bring up a point that a good part of the roster is still probably getting used to the fact that Tom Brady is their quarterback, not just from a rep standpoint, but just from the fact that, whoa, that's Tom Brady. I would think that pro athletes would get over that pretty quick, but he seems to think that the players are still certainly a little bit shell-shocked that they're out there possibly with the greatest player of all time, but that needs to go away pretty quick. Hmm. Zubin, uh, my last thing for you, uh, NBA, see uh, Carol, the pride of Carol, Nick Nurse signed an extension, multi-year extension with the Raptors this morning. So tonight we'll get a game one in the East, Boston and Miami. I think Miami's going to give them a series, and I thought that whoever won, and before Miami started to get hot, I thought it's two-team race out East. It's Boston or the Raptors. It'll be one of those two teams. I'm not so sure now, but we do get a game seven tonight. I don't know how Denver's doing it. The Clippers, they just uh, been unable to close this uh, Nuggets team out. Uh, your thoughts on game one in the East, and who will advance to take on the Lakers in the West game seven later on tonight? It's a great question. I think in the East, I would first say that, you know, Coach Bo, Eric Spolstra, you mentioned Nick Nurse. He is in very many ways the embodiment of a Nick Nurse, a guy that started at the bottom. Nurse was more of a vagabond. He went, as you know, as all Iowa basketball fans know, was well-traveled all over the country, all over the world. Uh, he was on our show a couple weeks ago, and he told us a story about coaching in England where he was coaching the team and driving the team bus, and the bus broke down on the side of the road and he didn't get out and trying to figure out how to fix the bus and then coach the team. He's come a long way since then, but Eric Spolster is sort of the same way without the traveling. He started in the video department for the Miami Heat. His father was a head coach. He's the first Filipino head coach in the NBA, much like Nurse, sort of moving up, unconventional, not something that you would see. Pat Riley tabs him to become the coach when the uh, big three is in Miami, when he barely had any coaching experience whatsoever. And he's just done an unbelievable job. R.J. Williams says that he ran circles, ran circles around everybody who he's been coaching against in the playoffs this year. Brad Stevens gets a ton of credit Mm -hmm. for the matchups that he brings to the table. But now it'll be interesting because Jay was telling me that going toe-to-toe, he outcoached Mike Budenholzer by a mile. That's what uh, Jay told me. And and Budenholzer had the team with the NBA's best record. So tactically, it'll be great to see Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra couple of history nuggets here for the Nuggets and the Clippers, which I think you guys would love. The Clippers have never, ever, ever, ever been to the Western Conference Finals. They played seven games in their history with a chance to win and get to the Conference Finals. They've lost all seven of them. This is the 50th anniversary of Clippers basketball, so we'll see if in their 50th year they can make it a LeBron-Kawhi matchup. And instead of having all the games under one roof in L.A., they'll be all under one roof uh, in Florida. And for the Nuggets, I would tell you, Uh, This would be if they win tonight. They would become the first team in NBA history ever to overcome a 3-1 deficit in multiple playoff series in the same postseason. They were down 3-1 to Utah 
rallied to win if they win tonight down 3-1 to beat the Clippers. Nobody will have done that in the history of the NBA. And think about this, guys. Their last four playoff series. The Nuggets this year, by the way, saving off elimination in five games. They've won five elimination Jeez. games in the bubble. And here's the last thing for you. Last four playoff series for the Nuggets. Last year, round one, seven games, San Antonio win. Round two, seven games, Portland lost. This year, round one, seven games, Utah win. Tonight, game seven, Clippers, TBA. Their last four playoff That's series, crazy. they've all gone seven games. So this would be an incredible moment for the Nuggets. They have not been to the Western Conference Finals since 2009. And lo and behold, who did they play the last time they went to the Western Conference Finals? Mm. The Lakers. So mm. we will see if it comes full circle again. Zubin, great stuff. Thank you for what you do for us, Zubin Mahente. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Uh, congrats on your success. The new, rating sh- uh, the new radio show off to a great start, ESPN Radio Mornings uh, nationally. Zubin, thank you. See you next week. Thanks. Yeah, got to, good to talk to you, Zubin Mahente, as uh, we go around the world of sports. I'm going to get your opinion. You have one tonight? On either of those two, or are you focusing on baseball? Uh, don't have anything strong. Like you said, how are the Nuggets doing? I don't know. Getting down 15, 20 points yeah. and coming back against that team, how good the Clippers can be defensively. Don't you want to see LA, LA? Not really. Are you really don't? I, I always, the Nuggets are a team I root for growing up. Mm-hmm. I love Dikembe. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was my team. Yep. When everybody liked the Bulls, I wanted to be a little bit different. Sure. So, got myself a Brian Stith jersey and a Matumbo jersey. Ellis. LaFonzo Ellis, yes. Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Absolutely. So, I have a soft spot for the Nuggets. Speaking of that Scott Western Hastings. Conference final, it, uh, I was in Vegas for that last one. Were you? And the Lakers fans, we're rooting for the Nuggets. We all bet on the Nuggets Trent, one night. isn't it amazing? They take over the city. It, and the now, books. I just think about what it's got to be like for the Raiders. Oh. This was for... Nuggets, Laker, and mm-hmm. people, and it didn't matter what bar we were in, what nope. sports book we were in, they were everywhere, yep. and they were loud, and they were proud, and they didn't like if you were rooting for the Nuggets, I'll tell you that much. Uh, we'll come back, finish out the program. Miller and Condon, till noon, it's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and one a lottery. Woo-hoo! All right, final couple of minutes here, Tuesday, Miller and Condon. Thank you to Zubin Mahente. Thank you to Van Harden. Good, good hour. It was a good hour. Let's see if we can get through it without screwing it up, Condon. That was just us two. <laughs> so we found the uh, the hot mic. It's uh, we, we talked about this earlier. If you're a Big Ten fan, you want to turn up your radios. Ted Carter, the president of Nebraska, uh, was caught by TV station KETV, as Zubin said, an a- uh, ABC affiliate in Omaha, speaking into a hot microphone uh, earlier this morning. Here's the what the hot mic captured, uh, Ted Carter, and I'm not certain who the other voice is, but here's Ted Carter's hot mic. Everything that's going on here, and what we're getting ready to announce a Husker Big Ten football tonight. Oh, really? I, I heard that that was happening. I didn't... I think there's a lot of anticipation about that. Good for you. Maybe that'll get off your plate. <laughs> well, it never will, but it's 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 a good move in the right direction. Right. So we have our, our professors here. Everybody that's we have a few. They go on to talking about all the professors that are there, but both of them have masks on. Yep. So it makes it a little bit more muffled. But the biggest news says we're making an announcement tonight. 
Football's coming back. Well, I uh, I mean, this is the president of Nebraska. This isn't, you know, Sir Yacht or well, anybody like that. I, I don't believe it unless it comes from Sir Yacht. <laughs> uh, he says the schedule's done. I just checked his Twitter feed. Oh, yeah? He said schedule's done. Everything's coming at once. We'll see. Uh, look, it sounds like uh, the news we've been waiting for is exactly uh, the news that we all wanted. Uh, the Big Ten is going to come back, and perhaps we will know tonight. So you're not playing the you're not playing the hoops. Well, I mean, come on. Well, you're playing the hoops, oh, but I'll you play. don't have an opinion. I don't have you a strong share. opinion. Well, I, I had an opinion yesterday, and I didn't get it right. Mister Monday Night comes off to a slow start, but the doubleheader never counts. Oh, good. We, we've long maintained that's so, a double. So week one, our picks don't count either. You were no, four no, and no, one. No. I was one, three and one. No, no, no. That, it doesn't work. That no, it doesn't work that way. Only for Mister Monday Night. Ah, uh, Guskowski cost you. Holy cow! Unbelievable. This is exactly some not even kickers. close. I know it's right, and not only field goals, extra point miss was was big. Yeah, that field goal would have covered that two and a half. Oh boy, the joys uh, of gambling. Indeed, doesn't it fun? Miller and Condon, thank you for being here. Murph and Andy, they're the next local programming. Maybe they'll have a Big Ten announcement. They'll bring on the air from 2 to 4. Fanatics at 4 o'clock. Uh, they'll slide in here. And then tomorrow morning will be the time for the morning rush at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon weekdays, 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.9.